This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Folks, it's time to get into the Word of God again. So please lift up your Bible and open it this morning. We are in Acts chapter 5. Last time out, we met Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They lied to God. They sold property and kept proceeds from that back for themselves. And then they dropped dead at the judging hand of the Lord. And fear came upon every soul in the local fellowship. And they realized the holiness, the righteousness of God and the love that he has for his bride. We continue into that chapter today. Uh, We begin at verse 12, and we go down to the end of the chapter, and we see a familiar tale unfolding as the apostles begin to preach again, and the enemies line up against them. So Acts chapter 5, verse 12, to the end of the chapter, and this is the word of the Lord. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem and more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this light. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, And those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. 
And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. And he too perished and all who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Amen. And we thank God for his precious word. Good morning boys and girls, good to see you once again and you're very welcome to our online church service. Now as always boys and girls, I don't want you to go away into the kitchen and get a biscuit and then go and play your playstation or do something else. I would love you to sit with your parents and to listen to today's sermon. And so as you do that, please get your fingers out and count how many times you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Also today, what part of Peter did the people hope would fall upon them. Hmm. Was it his nose? His ears? His hands? What part of Peter did the people hope would fall upon them? It's maybe not what you think. Boys and girls, as well as that, I want you to tell me who was it that opened up the prison? Who was it that opened up the prison? And last but not least, in the very final verses, we meet someone called Gamaliel, and he tells us about two rebels. There was one whose name began with T, and another whose name began with J. What were the names of the two rebels? How many times do you hear about Jesus? What part of Peter did the people hope would fall upon them? Who opened the prison? And what were the names of the two rebels that Gamaliel told us about? One beginning with T and the other beginning with J. See you soon, boys and girls. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul amazingly describes to us the nature of the church of Jesus Christ. He tells us it is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that it is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. 
Straight away, as Paul tells us that in Ephesians, we realise that the church is not this New Testament thing. The church is from the beginning. It is the people of God who have received Christ by faith. It is the body of Christ on this earth. And it is built on the foundation of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. We read in the scriptures about the nature of this beautiful body that we are part of called the church. I am incredibly thankful for that reality. It is a privilege to be part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And as we heard last week, it is not something that we should take for granted or take lightly. But today we see the reason why we should be devoted to the Apostles' teaching. Today we see, again, why the Apostles and their ministry were foundational in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ. Just as we should give ear and attention to the teaching of the prophets, so too we should give ear and attention to the teaching of the apostles. What we see in these verses is a description of the foundational ministry of the apostles of the church. We read in verse 12 that there were many signs and wonders regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. There they were ministering to the people in a place where Jesus himself had ministered to the people. And there they were doing signs and wonders. If you've been listening to these sermons, then you will know that I am someone who is a cessationist. I believe that we shouldn't expect miracles and signs and wonders in this day and age. I believe that they were foundational and that they were given to the office of the apostles to authenticate their ministry. They were signs because they were pointing away from the apostles to the God who had poured out his power and spirit onto these men. These apostles were able to do amazing things. And we've seen some of that. They were able to heal a paralyzed man. They were able to speak in languages that they hadn't ever learned or known before. And here, amazingly, we read that even the shadow of Peter was able to heal those who it fell upon. See, boys and girls, the question I asked you was, what part of Peter did the people want to fall upon them? It wasn't his nose, it wasn't his ears, it wasn't even his hands. Boys and girls, mums and dads, this apostle Peter was so powerful that even if his shadow fell upon the sick, they would be healed. There's no one who is able to perform such miracles today. There are many who declare themselves to be apostles and many who say they can do signs and wonders, but they simply do not match up to what we meet in the pages of Acts. Here is the foundational office of the apostles. Here is the foundation stone of the church, the prophets and the apostles in Solomon's portico, teaching and preaching and doing miracles and wonders for the people. The people were amazed by all of this. We read that in verse 13, none of the rest are joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. Verse 13 is a tricky verse and there's much discussion about it. Who were the rest who didn't dare to join the apostles? I think here we are supposed to see that it was other members of the church of Jesus Christ. The apostles are in the portico, they're doing signs and wonders, even Peter's shadow falling on the sick would heal some of them. But out of perhaps a, a worry over the authorities, 
perhaps out of fear after what they had seen happening in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira, some of the believers hold themselves back from Solomon's portico and they let the apostles get on with it. None of the rest are joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. And amazingly in this passage, we read that more than ever believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The sick were brought in and healed by the shadow of Peter. And in verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns in Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. No one was sent away disappointed. Not one person went home and wasn't able to get up to the front to be touched by the miracle worker with his shaky jacket in the air. That wasn't how it was done in these days. Anyone who came for healing was healed. Whether it was by a word, whether it was by a touch, whether it was by the shadow of the apostle, the unclean spirits were driven out, the sick were healed, men and women would stand again, amazing things were happening and so you would expect that as this foundational ministry is developing and, and about to leave Jerusalem, there would be much rejoicing. And yet, the enemies of the people of God begin to stand once more. In verse 17, we're told that the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. We touched upon the other week who the Sadducees were. They were a part of the, the Jewish faith, a, a subgroup of the Jewish faith. And they were men who did not believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe that Jesus had rose again from the dead. And they certainly didn't believe that you and I, by faith in Christ, would rise again from the dead. But please note what Luke records for us here in verse 17. See what brings the attention of the enemy. See what drives the sinful opposition of God's bride, the church, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. What drives it? At that these men were filled with jealousy. These men were frustrated and angry and annoyed because the attention of the people was on the apostles. It was no longer placed upon the Sadducees or the Pharisees or any other subgroup. The people recognized that something amazing was taking place in their sight. Their attention was on the apostles. And the jealousy that was raised up in the Sadducees saw the apostles being arrested and put in the public prison. Verse 18. My brothers and sisters, we should not be amazed at the pettiness of the enemy. We should never ever marvel at, at how he can use even the slightest little sin, even the slightest little comment, even the slightest little bit of jealousy. We should not be surprised when he uses every inch of it to stand against the gospel and to oppose the bride of Christ. These men were frustrated jealous because the attention wasn't on them and indeed if the apostles had have been spoken to and, and challenged about this they would have said well we don't want the, the, the attention to be on us either these are signs that point away from us to the God who does this amazing work but the Sadducees didn't get it for them it was a popularity contest for them it was about being the big guys and the big picture and the big show 
And so they arrest the apostles and put them in prison. And yet, as we have already heard, working our way through the book of Acts, the gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel, this old, old story of the Lord Jesus Christ, cannot be silenced. And yet the Sadducees don't seem to realise that. The apostles are put in prison. But we read in verse 19 that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Boys and girls, I asked you a question about who opened the prison. It was an angel of the Lord. And boys and girls, I want you to remember that throughout the Bible, sometimes we come across the angel of the Lord. The T-H-E, the angel of the Lord. Boys and girls, in the scriptures, when we meet the angel of the Lord, we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will see him like that in the Old Testament. He is there in the fiery furnace and he is appearing throughout the scriptures as the angel of the Lord. But here, boys and girls, it's an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord comes and opens the prison doors and brings the apostles out. In the book of Hebrews, we read who the angels are. They are ministering spirits sent out for the sake of God's elect. Sometimes we think that angels have wings and they float down from the ceiling and all of that. But boys and girls, mums and dads, that's not true. Angels do not have feathers. They are ministering spirits sent out for the sake of God's elect. And here this angel comes for the sake of God's elect and he opens the prison doors. But look at his message in verse 20. He urges these apostles not to be quiet, not to shrink in the face of the jealousy and opposition that is coming from the Sadducees, but instead to go and stand in the temple of all places. Don't hide away. Don't go and preach in a field outside the city. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. They were to go and they were to preach the gospel. They were to go and proclaim Christ the author and perfecter of our faith, in whom there is life and life abundant, they were to tell the people about Jesus. Nothing was to silence the gospel. My brothers and sisters, I hope and pray that we will never ever grow weary or tired of hearing the gospel. As I preach through the book of Acts, I am continually amazed at how quickly the apostles get back to the gospel. They get back to the main thing. They're in prison. They've just healed people with a, a shadow. They've uh, driven out unclean spirits. People are healed left, right and center. And yet their focus is on preaching about this life. The life that we have in the gospel. And if the church of Jesus Christ built on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, if that church ever gets tired of the gospel or if that church ever makes anything else the center other than the gospel, then that church has no business being called a church. It is a social club. It is a gathering of like-minded individuals, but it is not united by what has brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel comes and opens the prison. 
And the apostles are commanded to stand in the temple and to preach the words of life, to preach the gospel. And so they hear it and they do it. Verse 21 says they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now, they're getting on with the work that they're called to do. Meanwhile, the Sadducees, the jealous opponents of the church, well, they gather together, they call together the council, the senate of the people of Israel, and they send to the prison because it's a new day and it's a time to put these guys on trial. It's a time to talk to them, a time to find out what they're all about. But when the officers come in verse 22, they do not find the apostles in the prison. They return and they report exactly this. The doors are locked, the guards are there, but there is no one inside. And so they're perplexed. They wonder about this. They wonder what all of this is going to come to. And then the news breaks in in verse 25. Because as these men are standing around, scratching their chins and, and wondering what's going on, someone tells them, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and they are teaching the people. Sadducees are no fools. They, I'm sure, are enraged by the escape of these men. I'm sure they are enraged by the fact that they are not hightailing it out of town and getting out before midnight, but instead they're just down the road, they're just at the temple, and they're preaching and teaching the people once more. So the Sadducees send the captain and, and others to get these men, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The enemy is vindictive, the enemy is petty, and the enemy is filled with jealousy, but the enemy is not stupid. The enemy does his work in the darkness and in sleeked little ways, as we would say here in Northern Ireland. The enemy is no fool. And so here we see the opponents of Christ's church tiptoeing to get their way to avoid any confrontation with the people. You see, they know. There's something going on here. They get it. They, they don't like it. It fills them with jealousy and bitterness and hatred. But, but they know there's something going on and, and it's out of their control and it's gathering traction and the people are, are just so focused on it and their attention is there and men and women are being healed and there's celebrations in the street. They know that there's something going on and yet they still will not see. They bring the apostles to them. They stand before the council, verse 27, and they question them. And they say, as if to, to finish the argument, verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You intend to blame us. For the loss of Jesus Christ. You intend to point the finger at us to say it's your fault. We told you to be quiet about this. We told you to say nothing about this. We told you to shh. But the apostles are not silent. The apostles cannot be hushed or shushed. Instead Peter and the apostles answer in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. 
See, that is the reality. And increasingly in this day and age, we see that. When we are told that the gospel can't be preached, when we're told that it is no place in the public square, when we're told that it must be removed from our schools, when we're told it must be kept privately to yourself in your four walls, but actually see all your devices, they're listening. Stop. No more gospel. Can't be on the big screen, the small screen. Shh. Peter's words still ring true. We must obey God rather than men. And the church of Jesus Christ built on the foundation of the prophets and these apostles continues, I hope and pray, to put the gospel front and centre in what we are all about. Peter gets straight to it. In verse 30, he once again outlines in just a few verses, a few words, the glorious gospel. The God of our fathers, he says, raised Jesus. Again, there's no division in God. There's no Old Testament God and New Testament God. There's not a church in the Old Testament and a different one in the New Testament. There's a unity here in the gospel, a unity in the covenant of grace. And Peter says exactly that, the God of our fathers. We are culturally and, and her, with our heritage, we are Jews. We are coming out of that religion. The God of our fathers, Yahweh, the great I am, it is him who raised Jesus. And it is you, says Peter once again, pointing the finger. It is you who killed him by hanging him on a tree. Cursed is the one who is hung on a tree. And he here speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, hung at Calvary's cross, the hands of wicked men. Now, I don't want you to think it was an accident. I don't want you to think that the Sadducees and others like them got ideas above their station and, and the cross and the crucifixion was never meant to happen. The Lord himself predestined these things to take place. It was the Father's will to crush the Son and he was handed over to the schemes and the plans of wicked and evil men who crucified him on a tree. But the God of our fathers raised him you may have killed him. You may have delighted in the nails being driven into his body. But he died for sin and he was raised again by God himself. And in verse 31, this Jesus was exalted at the right hand of the Father as leader and saviour. This Jesus is the one who we look to. He leads us, he guides us, he governs us. He is our prophet, priest, our king. He is our great saviour. And this Jesus is the one who has given repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is how we receive the gospel, by repentance and faith. And when we receive it, we are forgiven. Peter says we are witnesses to these things, verse 32. We saw them with our own eyes. We're not today speaking about stuff we don't know. We're not today filling your head with nonsense. We saw this. We are eyewitnesses of this. And so we preach. And if you will not believe us, then the Holy Spirit is also a witness, says Peter. And God has given this same Holy Spirit to those who obey him. The sermons that we meet in the book of Acts sometimes are short and sometimes a little bit longer. But the sermons we meet in this book 
are filled from start to finish with the gospel. They are filled from start to finish with Jesus. The sermons that we meet are not designed to entertain. They're not designed to be short and sweet so we can get home for our lunch. They're not designed to tickle our fancy and to address questions of the day that will interest us for about 13 minutes but no more. These are sermons that are full of Christ. Sermons that are full of the gospel. Sermons that that educate and teach and point men to their need of salvation. These sermons are wonderful. And today as we look at this little sermon we see the gospel in every verse and we see the hope that we have in Christ and the forgiveness that we have received and the spirit who has been gifted to us. What a sermon. Peter preaches it. And again you think well it couldn't be any clearer. There couldn't be a more straightforward message. This isn't a four hour sermon. It's short and straight to the point and and you think, well, they will get it. They will understand it. They know the people are believing it. They understand what the people are saying. But instead in verse 33, again, we see the hand of the enemy. For when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. The gospel enraged the authority. It made them so angry that instead of silencing them, instead of beating them, instead of throwing them into prison, it was escalating at every step. And instead of any of that, now they want to lay hands on these men and rip them to pieces. They want them killed. And again, my brothers and sisters, do not be surprised at how malicious the enemy is. He will do anything And use any means to silence the preaching of Christ. Do not be surprised when our churches are divided. Do not be surprised when wolves creep in and cause tension and trouble within the flock. Do not be surprised when we hear reports from far away of Christians losing their lives. Do not be surprised. If Satan can quiet the gospel in quiet ways, then he will do it. But if he needs whiz-bang and wallop and death and imprisonment and whatever else, he will do it as well. And the Sadducees here and others like them are unwittingly doing the work of the enemy. They hear the gospel. But instead of responding to it with repentance and faith, they want to kill those who are preaching it. But wisdom comes on this day from an unlikely source. In verse 34, we meet a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. Later in the book of Acts, we will discover that someone called Saul, who later becomes Paul, learned and was taught at the feet of this man. And Gamaliel stands up and he is held in honour by all the people. And he urges these apostles to be put outside for a little while and he brings wisdom to the proceedings. He says, men of Israel, verse 35, take care of what you're about to do with these men. Remember the past. Remember that we've seen things like that before. And boys and girls, I asked you about the two rebels who Gamaliel tells us about. One begins with T and one begins with J. Well, here we see it. Verse 36, Gamaliel says, before these days, Thutis rose up. T-H-E-U, 
D-A-S, Thutis, rose up and he claimed to be somebody. There were others who followed him, but now they're all gone. In verse 37, Judas the Galilean begins with J. Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of census. He drew some people after him, but he too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is of man, it will fail. Verse 39, but if, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them and you might even be found to be opposing God. Wisdom. Even from an unlikely source, wisdom comes. Be careful, you Sadducees. Be careful, you men who want to murder these apostles. Be careful on what you're about to do. Let's just take a step back. Let's watch what's going on. Let's watch it all fizzle out as it has done in the past. Let's just calm down. And so, on that day, thankfully, the apostles were beaten only. They were charged again not to speak in the name of Christ. And they were let go. Once more, the gospel can't be stopped. It is to be preached to the ends of the earth and it will be preached and is being preached to the ends of the earth. The gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at the response of the apostles to all that has gone on in verse 41. When they left the presence of the council, they left rejoicing. Rejoicing. They'd come close to losing their lives. If it wasn't for the wisdom of Gamaliel and a reminder of Thutis and Judas and urging to just let this fizzle out, if it wasn't for that, Peter and the others would have been killed that day. But they go anyway from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. Friends, when I read that verse, I am deeply humbled because I do not think I want to suffer dishonor. I would much prefer my comfort and I would much prefer a long and happy, quiet life. I would much prefer all of those things and to suffer dishonor for the name, but may the Lord forgive my weak and weary and sinful heart. For here in the face of great opposition, here in the face of a whole council standing before them and wanting to kill them, these men rejoice. We're suffering, we are persecuted, we are dishonoured, but we rejoice for it is for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what they had realised once more is that there is no greater name. No greater name than the name of Christ. And so going with rejoicing in their hearts, rejoicing that they have suffered dishonor for the name of Christ every single day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what a passage this is. See, often when we come together as churches, we know that all of this is true. 
We know that there's no greater name. We know that the gospel is glorious. We know that it is the power of God unto the salvation of all who will believe. But, but how often are our churches structured in such a way where the gospel, the name of Christ, is not front and centre? Sometimes we structure our churches almost like they are shopping centres. We have shops to meet every need. The young people, the old people, the men, the women, the children, the, the in-betweens, the young marrieds, the old marrieds, the idols, the young lads. We, we structure it in such a way where everyone can come and it's like every flavour of ice cream under the sun and we all go away home happy, but actually we're never happy. How often in our churches are we grumbling because our needs are not met? Our own brand of ice cream isn't there. How often do we come and we make church that body which is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles and we make it about everything other than Christ? How often do we feel so sorry for ourselves? How often... Perhaps are we filled with sinful pride and jealousy like the Sadducees because the attention isn't on us. I heard a story about a preacher a long time ago, maybe apocryphal, maybe made up, but it serves a point. He went to the door one Sunday and somebody came and spoke to him and said, I didn't get much out of that. And he said in reply, good. Because it wasn't about you. My friends, isn't that the case? As we read through this chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 5, it's not about the apostles. It's not about the signs and wonders that they do. It's not about the dishonour that they suffer. It's not about the, the crowd against them. It's not about Thutis or, or Judas or Gamaliel. It's not about the Sadducees. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the one who bears the name that is above all names. This is all about Christ. And whether in Solomon's portico where shadows of the apostles were falling and healing people, or whether it is in prison, or whether it is after their, their escape from prison and they're standing in the temple, or whether it's if they're dragged before the council and they're forced to speak, or whether it's when they're going to the temple or from home to home, at every point from the first verse in this passage to the end of this passage, it's about Christ. It's about the gospel. And imagine... A future for our church that was centered around that. Christ and him crucified. For we know, we know the greatness of that name. And we know the glory of the gospel. Friends, if anyone today calls upon that name, that name of Jesus, then they will be saved. If anyone today receives Christ by faith and repents of their sins, then they will be saved. And you and I, as men and women of faith, we know that reality. When were you saved? 
your granny's knee, in the mission hall, in the tent in the field, praying one night before you went to bed, one day driving to work, when were you saved? Tell that story to yourself again about that day and marvel and rejoice that the gospel did that. Friends, the gospel is the old, old story. But may we never grow tired of it. May we never despise it. May we always preach it. For the gospel remains the power of God for the salvation of all who will believe. And may the gospel always remain what our church is all about.